We are busy with a series and it ends today. It started last week, two weeks. Who were here last week for the first part of the series? Were you guys encouraged by that? I really believe God shifted and I heard plenty of testimonies of people who said the Spirit of God did something in them that they came into this venue feeling down and out and depleted but they left here after just hearing the Word of God completely inspired and touched with hope. And that's the God we serve. So my heart has got an incredible expectation as we continue to study this book but we called it Hills and Valleys because we discovered together that that is where God is. He is completely involved in every hill and mountaintop in our lives, and he's completely there in every valley. And this morning, as we study chapter three, we're gonna read how Habakkuk even writes this down, just like that. How God is on the mountain, and how he is in the rivers. And that's the beauty of the God we serve. And if we can understand this in the beginning of the year, that it doesn't matter what comes our way, if we understand that he is completely present in both the hills and the valleys, we are set up for an incredible journey with him. The book of Habakkuk, as I said last week, to recap briefly, is a unique prophetic book. The other prophetic book speaks the oracles of God and what God is saying to the peoples and more specifically to God's nation, the nation of Israel. But Habakkuk is leaning into the times and the age of what's happening around them and he actually questions God on that. He doesn't just say, God is saying this. He's saying, wait a minute, I have a few questions around that. And last week, the encouragement was that we can come honestly and heartfelt to God when we pray. We hold back, we suit and tie our prayers, we put a lid over them, and we think we've got to pray in a certain way. But when we pray honestly and heartfelt, we see the hand of God move in our lives. And if we do it like Habakkuk, with a sense of hope, God will answer the cries of our heart. This morning, I want to start with a statement that I feel really sums up this book. It is, his thoughts and ways are higher. Can we all say that? His thoughts and ways are higher. We see that throughout Scripture. There's a piece of passage that says that in the book of Isaiah. And if we live according to our thoughts and according to our ways, we are missing out on what God has in store for us. And I believe this morning he wants to move hearts away from the human understanding and our walking and our thoughts and say, I'm going to raise the bar and I'm going to pull you right up because Habakkuk ends in that beautiful prophetic picture where we can be sure-footed like a deer on the high places that he is calling us to. And that's where we're going to end this morning, positioning ourselves in the place that God has for us. I believe it's a word in season because we live in a time of decline around the world. We live in a time of hardship. We live in a time of things getting worse, things getting harder to understand. There's so many options for the world out there. I think about the youth and the invitation to youth next week and everything that they are faced with. And similar to Habakkuk, that is exactly where we find ourselves, in a time where there is decline. And what I love about Habakkuk is he was there complaining to God about it and saying, God, how long shall we cry out? And you do not listen and you do not hear. And what the client does is it often puts us in a place of complacency first. Then we, we fall in the trap of complaining. Anyone guilty? Like, I don't like this and I don't like that. And when is this going to change? And what are they going to do about that? And then we become these victims of our world. 
And this morning we're going to see how even after God responded with a way out thought that it's going to get worse and I'm going to bring discipline, how Habakkuk had a short moment to respond and he responded with the most powerful thing we can respond to in the moments we find ourselves and that is with prayer. But not just with prayer, he also responded with praise. Chapter two is all about God answering these big questions that Habakkuk asked. And in chapter three, the story beautifully changes to a man that gets to a place and he understands there is a God whose thoughts are higher and his ways are higher than mine. So all I'm gonna do is stand back and I'm gonna pray and ask him to do what only he can do. And Habakkuk prays a revival prayer. And this is a prayer that seems to be, and especially where we live in the Western Cape, on our lips quite often, right? God has spoken prophetically in many ways about revival coming. But this week I was bringing it before him and I said, God help me understand this a little bit better because there's been dates and I'm not one believing that those dates are of God. Uh, We should have been dead and had the end of the world maybe 10 times in my lifetime and I'm still here. And there's people saying this and that will happen. And I realized the key in revival prayer is that it's God's doing, not ours. And we sometimes usurp the space and place of God where we think it's how hard we pray and how much effort we put in and how hard we try and how many hours we spend on his knees and on knees that will make him move. But the revival prayer of Habakkuk was 30 words long and it moved the heart of God. 30 words that we're gonna study together this morning. I believe that God wants to bring a revival. And I believe it's all about, and we've prayed into this this morning, understanding the words of Jesus saying, blessed are the meek, those who are on their knees in humility before me, for they shall inherit the earth. So many times we come, become even prideful in our prayers. We say, no, this has to happen now. And we do all these things, which is good, none of them are bad, but there's a God whose ways are higher and thoughts are higher than ours. So as we study this revival prayer by Habakkuk this morning, I believe he's gonna teach us through his word this morning, how do we pray an honest, heartfelt revival prayer that makes sense to God and impacts our life. Let's read together, it's Habakkuk chapter three, verse two. Verse one just says, that this song was written by Habakkuk. And then it goes and it starts like this. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. 30 words and we find the prophet Habakkuk interceding for the people of God saying, God, I remember and I've heard those moments where you moved powerfully in the nations. I remember and I've heard of those moments where you moved powerfully in my family, where you've done it here in this church. And this morning, God, we cry out to you and we say, God, would you once more revive those works in our generation and in this time? That is the simplicity of revival prayer. It's as simple as that. God, you are awesome. We stand in all of your deeds, we've seen it and we've heard it and we remember it. Won't you simply come, as we sang this morning, 
with all that you are and come move again in our time and in our age. And these four thoughts that we find from the scripture, the first thought is that it was a prayer of remembrance. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. This was deeply challenging to me, being in the, in the call that God has. Sometimes we get impatient. We want to see things happen on our watch and our time. And we just kind of run on and run forward, which is great. But Habakkuk teaches us an important principle, especially for revival prayer. We've got to stop and remember what God has already done. Because it's out of the place of remembrance that worship starts and praise to God comes forth. He said, God, I'm going to remember for a minute about everything that you've done. And he remembered. And again, we don't know exactly how long he prayed this prayer. I said this last week. He might have prayed the first sentence. And he might have been quiet for a while. He said, God, I have heard of your fame. And I've heard of your awesome deeds. And I'm going to remember that for a minute. I'm going to pause and just think of the God that you are. If you get despondent in life, you've got to go play back to that place of remembering what God has done. Got to go back to that place of thinking of the time he has answered your prayers. And this is what Habakkuk does. He thinks about the people of God, this, the nation of Israel, and he says, God, you have done some incredible things before. Let us not forget that. Let that stir praise in our hearts. And he lists these things. He continues the chapter by saying, I see God moving across the deserts from Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. God, how people have met you on the mountain before. And we've seen you moving in our midst. He remembers it and he recalls it. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens and the earth is filled with his praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. Pestilent marches before him. Plague follows close behind him. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains and levels the eternal hills. Isn't that what we read about, what Jesus would do, that he would bring the, light, the high places low and fill every valley? And he continues, he's saying, he is the eternal one. I see the people of Kushan in distress and the nation of Midian trembling in terror. Was it in anger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and parted the seas? Were you displeased, displeased with them? No, you were sending your chariots of salvation. You brandished your, brow, your bow and your quiver of arrows. You split open the earth with flowing rivers. There it is. God, you are in the mountains of Baran and you are in the rivers and in the valleys. You have come with your chariots of salvation and we find you in both these places. The mountains watched and trembled. We sang it this morning. The side of your presence, the mountains quake. Onward swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cries out, lifting its hands in submission. What beautiful image is that? The mighty deep cries out, lifting its hands in submission. <laughs> Do we even get this God that we serve? Do we ever stop to think like Habakkuk of this almighty God? Or have we become so familiar that we just play the Christian game? God is calling us higher. 
And he will make our feet like deer walking in the high places. And unless we stop and remember him in his fullness, in everything that he's done, like Habakkuk does here, we are gonna miss out. And we can pray till we blew in the face, but we have to start remembering who this God is that we are praying for. And I feel like we've lost that. And when I say we, collectively, the church, we've lost getting to that place where we could be on our knees for three to four hours because we are so aware of who he is and how high his ways are. And the only way we can scale that bar is by him and his power. And Habakkuk stops and he remembers all that God has done. I want this year to be a year of remembering who this God is that we serve. The best way to do is to study this. Been reading through the Bible since the beginning of the year. It's amazing. Every time you read it, it just opens up more. I just love him more. I just want to spend more time with him. Will you, like Habakkuk, take the word of God and remember? He wasn't there when God met them on the mount that he speaks about, but because it was written down and he was studying it, he remembered what God has done. The second thing that he does in this revival prayer is a prayer of inclusivity. And this is profound and powerful, and you need to hear this. Up until this point, the conversation that Habakkuk was having with God only had the pronoun I in it. Lord, how long must I cry out and you do not listen? And all of a sudden, he starts including we. He moves away from just what I need and what I want and what I desire, and he says this in that scripture, God, repeat them in our day. Isn't that powerful? And isn't that extremely challenging? Because so much of our Christian walk is about what I need, what I'm going through, and God coming through for me. And that's what we spoke about last week, is that he's ready to meet you in the lowest valley and on the highest, most difficult place. But Habakkuk moves on from focusing on himself, and he says, God, it's time for me to pray for the collective we. And that's where revival prayer starts making sense. Revival is when God brings to life that which is dead in its simplest form. And I love the word that God gave Elena this morning. I believe that in this house, there's a lot of pretty alive people with hearts devoted to them. But if we keep praying about us and I and my walk, and we don't start including the we, like Habakkuk in his prayer, we are gonna miss out for what God wants to do. Revival is when we say, God, we are gonna pray for these people like never before. Like never before. Not just, oh yeah, there's some names. And we shout and we celebrate when a name is moved, which we should do. But are we saying, God, for their sake, again, move in a powerful way. Move in a way that they can't deny you in their lives anymore. That's what Habakkuk does. We have to start praying prayers of inclusivity. But it's not just about my crying out to God for me, but my crying out to God for us together. The third thing that he does in this prayer, and probably the most important and profound, is that he prayed a prayer for mercy. He said, in wrath, remember mercy. Now, a little bit of backdrop again. I spoke about this last week. He was crying out to God and saying, listen, things are hectic. 
It doesn't make sense and we keep on asking and it just seems like you are not hearing and I'm your prophet and I need to go to these people and tell them what you are busy with but I don't have answers so can you just maybe answer me? And then God says, I'm gonna do something and you're gonna be utterly amazed. And Habakkuk maybe positioned himself saying, here it is, the breakthrough is coming and then God said, the Babylonians are gonna get risen up by me and I'm gonna send them for discipline's sake. And then this prayer makes sense. It says, God, your ways are higher. You work differently. So I'll submit knowing that you work in people's lives through discipline, through taking away and giving as we learn in the book of Job. You give and you take away. But in that Jesus, in that God, will you please remember mercy? And the gospel of Jesus Christ is redundant without the wrath of God. Why would he need mercy and good news if there was nothing to receive mercy and good news from? And Habakkuk prays the salvation prayer. He prays the gospel. He said, God, in this understanding that you are a right and a just and a God who works in ways that we don't understand, we just ask that you will remember mercy. And here the gospel of Jesus Christ is already shared prophetically. It's always about the gospel here. It's always about the good news. If we want to see this nation changed, we've got to say, God, in the midst of whatever you are doing, if you're holding back the rain, in the midst of that, we pray for mercy. And that mercy isn't necessarily just the rain that falls. That mercy is for the lives of these people, saying, God, you do something in them that makes them stand utterly amazed. And if it means that you take them to their lowest point, in that we pray that you be merciful to them and save them from that. Because that is the God we serve. He's always merciful and always ready. The book of Lamentations says this so powerfully in a scary way. The writer says, he speaks about God. He has locked me in and I cannot escape. He has bound me in heavy chains. And though I cry out and shout, he has shut out my prayers. Sounds like Habakkuk, right? Sounds like so many of us, and it sounds like a whole lot of people out there. He has hidden like a bear or a lion to attack me. He has drawn his bow, and he has made me the target of his arrows. We just read about the arrows of salvation, because here it is. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You are my portion and my cup forever. That's what it means to say, God, we need mercy in the middle of whatever it is in our lives, in our nation, and in our community that you are busy with. Because that never ceases and that never comes to an end. Isn't that beautiful to know that? And he prays the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Because years later, Jesus stepped into this reality and he took the wrath of God upon himself. And he said, I'm gonna take that which the humans can't carry anymore because I am here for mercy's sake. And it, it challenged me this week because it's a good news prayer. When he says, in wrath, remember mercy. We just, like seriously, wrath? But, 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 but Jesus is just loving and kind doesn't the Bible teach us that a father who disciplines a child does so because he loves the child? But we don't, we don't want to hear that part. 
And here's the, here's the message in this. And it's all about the good news of Jesus Christ. Unless we have a revelation again of how bad the bad news is, the wrath of God, we won't celebrate how good the good news is, the mercy of Jesus. When we think about these people, what do you think? Do you just think, you know what, I'm really praying for this family member because you know, it would be much better if they get saved because the family dynamics would be sorted out and would love to have them to church? Or do you think of their eternity perspective and where they're heading to and the terrible bad news that they're finding themselves in and you say, God, we cry out in this moment that your mercy be revealed to them like never before. We've got to get to a place where the revelation of the bad news hits us in our hearts again so that we can take the good news to the people. And this is what he says, God, you have some serious bad news for us as the Israelites. But what an opportunity for mercy to shine. What an opportunity for light to come in the darkness. Can I say that again? The reason a lot of us don't get impacted by the good news is that we were never moved or bothered by the bad news. And Habakkuk stops and says, Lord, there's a whole nation. There's a whole nation. And you are working. You are shaking. You are at work. It's bad news. But I know you to be a God of good news in the midst of that. So in that, remember mercy. I pray that we would be a people who get back to that place where the bad news scares us. Where the reality of where our families are heading moves us. We can't hold back the good news of the mercy of God anymore. You can't hold it back, that conversation that's been pending at your workplace. Tomorrow is the day. That phone call that you've needed to make, today is the day. It's the day of salvation, and we're going to see how this message ends right there. The fourth thing that he prays is a prayer of rejoicing. One of my personal favorite passages after he said all these things about the incredible God and finding this, this, this balance between God is working with his discipline, but in the same breath there is mercy, he just stands back again and he says, I'm just gonna praise you. And he prays a prayer of rejoicing. In fact, he sings it. Right at the end, it says, this is for the singers on stringed instruments. This is what he prays. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And that's the final key in revival prayer. That God, though it seems like there's no end to this corruption, Though it seems like the dams are running dry, though it seems like my family is facing the most terrible trial, I say this of you. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That's where we've got to move to. We've got to start by remembering what he's done. Then we've got to say, God, but it's not just for me. It's for all of us. But God, we realize when you work with some of us, there's some deep stuff that you're going to do, and it's going to be hard and difficult. But we pray in that for mercy. And then God, we say, as we always say, we rejoice in you because you alone are the God of salvation. And that is what a revival prayer is all about. And that is what I am praying for for this year in understanding that he is calling us higher.
I want to share a story with you. It comes out of the Cold War. And out of Germany, in 1982, there was a pastor, Christian Führer, who started praying a revival prayer for the people of Germany. And what he did is on Monday mornings, his church was called the Nikolai Church, he would gather people and say, we're going to pray. Because in that time, the, the secret police called the Stasi were rising up and communism was about to break out in all of, of Germany. And the church said, in a moment like this, we pray revival prayers. They started praying from Monday to Monday to Monday. And that started growing. But it was, it was in the year of 1989, on the 9th of October, the secret police started an uprise against this church and this pastor and his people praying. You can go read the story. It's quite an amazing story. And in this uprising, they took a statement as a church and said, we're going to face this with absolutely no violence. They had a statement, Kene Gewalt, which means no violence. And there was an uproar against them by the police, and the police came 9th of October, 18, we get it, 19, 89. I'm not great with numbers. And the police came to get hold of these Christians. And they resisted, not like this, but just no violence. And the story goes that on that day, between 70 and 100,000 Christians gathered with candles. And they had a peace march for breakthrough for that nation. What happened is they had a candle in their hand and as they started walking, praying, the wind came up. And they had to use their other hand to protect the flame from being blown out by the wind. If you live in Gordon's Bay this past three days, you know exactly what that's about. Although the southeaster finds it ways and the candle is blown out. And just over a month later, the Berlin Wall fell. Many people ascribed the fall of the Berlin Wall and even non-believing people as an act of God. Not truly understanding why that it just in a moment stopped and the wall came down and people could move freely between the west and the east of Germany. But one of the commanders said this, we were prepared for everything except for candles and prayers. They were ready to fight. They were ready to go to war. And these Christians said, we're gonna pray revival prayers. God, we know the God you are, and we rest in that. God, there's a whole lot of Germans that need the good news, and we're gonna pray for them. God, you might be busy in our nation, disciplining and shaking and shifting, but we ask for mercy. And we're gonna walk out and sing and pray and praise your name and be the light to this world. And that wall came down a month later. No violence nothing whatsoever. And I want to speak this prophetically because I believe this is the most profound statement in this book for us. It's the final verse of Habakkuk. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. If we want to get to that place where he is calling us higher, we've got to get sure-footed like deer and say, God, we're ready to start walking there. Imagine the height of the Berlin Wall these people scaled it with prayers and candles. I want to show you an image of an ibex on a dam wall. 
That's what it looks like. And I believe there are walls in this community. There are walls in our lives, in our families that God is saying, I'm going to call you right up, but I'm going to make you sure-footed because I'm calling you to a higher place like I call Habakkuk. We know of the walls that we are facing. On Wednesday, the Western Cape is going to pray for rain again. And we're going to say like Habakkuk, God, you've done it before. We rest in you. And I don't know what walls you are facing, but if you could scale it, because God makes it possible for you to scale it, we will see revival happen in our midst.